The following is a conversation between Kyle Zimmer, President and CEO of First Book, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. First Book believes that education is the best path out of poverty for kids in need. But during this unprecedented and extended shutdown of school, many of those children do not have the tools they need, especially books, to continue their learning. An organization that is stepping up in a big way for children, parents, and educators is First Book. And it's a pleasure to have with us now their president and CEO, Kyle Zimmer. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Kyle. Thank you so much, Denver. It's so great to be here. In normal times, the scale of this issue, adequate resources for children living in poverty, is significant. So what has been the impact of the COVID-19 shutdown on those very children and their ability to learn? You know, it's impossible to overstate what a crisis this is for kids. The last time I looked up the numbers, the number of kids who were out of school was bumping up against about 60 million children in the United States because of closures. It may well be higher now. And while this is challenging for all families and all parents, this is a tremendous crisis for kids in poverty. You know, if you think about just from an academic perspective, there's a very well-documented slide in the summer where kids, especially kids in need, slide back their skills. They lose some of what they learned the year before. And the problem is, is that this, of course, is going to be the summer slide on steroids because Mm -hmm. it's months longer. And that backsliding actually is cumulative over the years. And so kids who are in that, on that track, who have those challenges, they get left further and further behind as they get older. So this is just a tremendous crisis. The other thing you have to remember is that schools do a lot of other things other than focus solely on academics. There's a social structure that's supportive. There are teachers and other adults who are there monitoring the kids, helping to keep them on track. There are meals, two meals a day in many districts for kids who otherwise their families have a real problem getting them the food they need. And all of those, all of those critical underpinnings have been lost. And there's also the social structure, you know, Mm -hmm. kids and their friends and those kinds of basic supports that are critical for developing into a successful adult, those have melted away. It's a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. A cascading set of problems. Well, First Book has launched a massive effort to get millions and millions of books in children's (laughs) hands, particularly those who don't have libraries or internet access. What are you doing to achieve this and how is that campaign going? You know, at First Book, we are entrepreneurs. We, of course, are in the nonprofit sector, but we are entrepreneurs in our hearts. And so the first thing we did was sharpen our pencils when we saw this crisis coming. And we reached out to our network of 475,000 educators, and we said, what do you need? What do you need to help us get our kids and your kids through this period, and they responded, we need books. We need Mm -hmm. books because technology is terrific, but these kids need to be surrounded by books. And so 
We really then reached out to our publishers and we said, we need your help. This is a tidal wave coming and they have stepped up Denver. It's really inspiring. You know, they have stepped up and we have now 8.3 million books that have come in and they're beautiful and they're new and they are ready to go. We of course had to raise funding and we're still hard at that work for the shipping and handling. The books have remained free, but the shipping and handling, you know, just to get the books from our warehouses into the kids' hands. And so that has been front and center, a real priority for us. And the final thing that I just want to mention, because it really keeps all of us going, is we reached out to our network and said, who will help us? Who will help us step up and be mini distribution hubs so that if we get those books to your garage or your church, that you will get them to the feeding sites and the homeless shelters. And in a very short amount of time, we had 6,000 members step up ready to take it on. It's a real hero story. Yeah, those are incredible numbers and congratulations on the progress you've been able to make in such an incredibly short period of time. And there's other ways you're also trying to support your educators and parents as well, correct? Yes, you know, we've worked with the American Federation of Teachers and they have they stepped up with some free resources that we were that we're able to provide for free as downloadables off of our website, the First Book Marketplace. And so we really are trying everything we can do. We've reached out and designed hygiene kits for kids, and those also have been made available. And so we really, for all the primary needs that our network of educators who serve kids in poverty, we've really responded strongly. There's a lot more work to do. And we've only distributed 1.5 million of the (laughs) 8 million bucks, but uh, we're hard at work because we feel like every day is a day lost if we don't get those out and into kids' hands. I hear you. How has this impacted your workplace culture? I mean, we're all working virtually. How have you been able to remain productive and effective? And are there things you're doing now, Kyle, that you say, hey, you know, we just might take that back with us when things return to a semblance of normal? I think there'll be tremendous repercussions, positively and negatively, for uh, workplace culture at First Book, but generally in the world. At First Book, what we've done is we rely on technology very heavily. We have calls every day that are standard calls with various departments using Zoom and using Microsoft Team and lots of great platforms that let us see each other. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One is I miss, and I think I'm speaking for my whole team, we miss the humor. We Mm -hmm. miss the camaraderie. We miss, you know, we're always, we're always fighting dragons because that's what you do in the nonprofit sector. But there is something about being able to look across that table and know that you're holding hands with smart, dedicated people who will run through the flames with you. And that is a much tougher thing to do these days. Having said that, I think it also has pushed us to trust each other more. You know, we say things in meetings. We, you know, I'm not running down the hallway and having people say, don't forget this and don't forget that. It's on me now. And so those are not bad. You know, that's kind of a wonderful thing. I get plenty of reminder emails. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I touched somebody the other day and they were saying that one thing to come out of it for them is documentation. Whereas so much of it was done in the office was just, I bump into you and say this, now everything yeah. has to be written down. And she was saying, this was do something.org. We hope we take that back with us when we oh, return. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not a big believer in that remote is the same. I, I have to say, I think that innovation requires a lot of interaction. And I think that that is something that I feel pretty strongly about. You have to be at least sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes yeah. in the same room to get that kind of mojo going. Sure. And also those unscripted moments that happen by serendipity in the office don't happen quite as much when we're doing That's Zoom right. and things. Those all have to be very intentional. What has it been like being a leader through a crisis? And do you think that leaders in the sector will change in any way once we return? I think this is a really challenging time for leaders in every sector. I think that these are pressures that are unprecedented on our organization and on our sector and on our entire economy and worldwide, really. So I think that the hardest thing to deal with is the uncertainty. And First Book has been around for 29 years. And so we have a lot of experience navigating upcycle economies, downcycle economies that have been, you know, dramatic and less dramatic. But the hardest thing on this is you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't really know how long it's going to last. There are no rules. And so all the work that we ordinarily do on business planning, you feel like it's getting pretty close to spaghetti on the wall uh, <laughs> as far yeah. as, you know, and, and when you start punching through what the estimates and, you know, budgets and stuff like that. That's an interesting observation. So I guess the skill set is, is that you really have to know how to embrace ambiguity and make decisions yeah. without a clear path in front of you, but those decisions still have to be made. Would that be right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think you have to do it with transparency and empathy and, you know, you have to trust your team and thank God that's the kind of team we have. You have always been a keen observer of the sector. So let me ask you this, Kyle. What do you think the impact of the COVID-19 will have on the sector, first as it pertains to how philanthropic organizations will go about their giving, and then secondly, how nonprofits will operate in the future? I think that it is the sector, the social sector, you know, in terms not necessarily of traditional charity, but of social enterprise, the whole field is like 40, 45 years old. And for the historical arc of a sector, that's kind of early phase. And it is, at the most, we are in our awkward adolescence. And this crisis has hit worldwide at a critical moment. And I think it's going to do damage to the sector. I'm worried about that. We need, we desperately need our partners in the philanthropic world to step up. Because what we have to remember is that social enterprise, you know, we build, we build organizations, we build institutions without a lot of the underpinnings that the private sector wouldn't step off their front porch without. We can't sell stock to raise money. We can't raise prices. We don't have access to traditional financing to get that. Those are the vehicles that people, that companies use 
to navigate, you know, times like this. And we are literally the high wire act without a net. And it's very difficult to raise funds from uh, the philanthropic sector for the kinds of institution building things that you need, like accounting systems and uh, attorneys and, you know, the kinds of things that you really need to securely step, put your foot on that next step. So I am hopeful, and I know a lot of folks in philanthropy are stepping up in much more dramatic ways given the crisis. That I hope will evolve, and I believe, I hope that there will be a strong case made to them that we've got to help the social sector build those fundamental infrastructure pieces to survive this crisis and to prepare and strengthen the sector for the next crisis, because there will be one. I think, you know, some of my colleagues, some of my friends at the global level, and I've written a couple of articles through the World Economic Forum over the past year, looking at the relationship between philanthropy and the social sector. And we even did the first practitioner survey through the Schwab Foundation. And there are, there are some, there's, I will only say there's room for improvement. I believe that <laughs> there is a feeling that the philanthropic sector is maybe not as collaborative with the practitioners as they need to be. There's a feeling as though it is not a merit-based system that it's really driven by who you know. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's also, it's baked into it is a fear of failure because, you know, everybody in the sector is so worried about reporting something that didn't maybe go as well. What you lose in that is you lose learning of failure that might advance that entire category of interest if it's hunger or agriculture or anything, because all of us in the sector are fearful. It's such an economy of scarcity that we lose some of that learning. And that's unfortunate to say. Yeah, it's strange in a lot of different ways. The whole notion of risk and that when people fund you that it might not work is never discussed. We never talk about risk. You would never do that with your financial advisor. He or she would tell you about the risk, but we act like it doesn't happen here. Finally, Kyle, and I'm just thinking about the the children and the families you serve, as we begin to recover and rebuild from this, what are your hopes and aspirations that we do so this time in a way that is more equitable, sustainable, and inclusive than perhaps we did in 2008? I hope that we don't lose the community that has come together around the kids. I mean, it's not enough it needs to be more, people are scrambling to build it, but there is a wonderful narrative that we have seen. You see it every night on the news with the hospital workers who are heroically walking into the flames, but you also see it in quiet ways in my world where educators like all over the country are figuring out ways to deliver books and resources and hygiene kits and computers to kids' front doors, Mm. where they're driving through the neighborhoods just to wave to their kids. I mean, it's, that is something that should, I, I hope we never lose that. I hope we never lose that. 
Yeah, well, a lot of innovation and a lot of heartwarming moments like the one you just described. Share with us, Kyle, what listeners or their companies can do to help you to get more books in the hands of these kids. Great. Well, we're delighted to have help and we really need it right now. As I said earlier in the interview, First Book has recruited more than 8 million books that are sitting in our warehouses and we've got the means to get them out and into the hands and into the homes of kids who need them. What we don't have is the shipping and handling costs. Mm -hmm. And so at a cost right around a dollar a book, we can deliver a book to a kid who's waiting for it. And it helps the whole family and it supports the educators who are already trying to navigate this critical period. So, you know, if you can go onto our website at www.firstbook.org and contribute so that we really can get those books out, that would be extraordinary. And one more thing, we want everybody in the First Book Network, anyone you know who is an educator in a Title I school or is working at an after-school or preschool program or in a, you know, an outreach program of any kind serving kids in need, please have them go onto our site. It's free, register with us, and we will make sure that you too are part of the First Book Network and can get all the benefits that we can possibly provide for you. Sounds good. Well, I know how terribly busy you are, Kyle, and I wanna let you know how grateful I am to you for taking a few moments to share this information with us today. Stay well, my friend. Stay well. Stay well, everybody. Thank you so much, Denver.